Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome everybody. So good to have you with us on this April twenty fifth Monday. It's my brother's birthday. How about that? So uh, you get a chuckle out of this when you look at the last name Lickin. Many people have pronounced mispronounced that as Lichen. So he finally gave up trying to correct everybody. So he goes by Lichen, and I go by the way the proper Norwegian pronunciation, which is Lichen. So there you go. Happy birthday to my brother, Dan Lichen. I better pronounce Lichen. So good to have you with us. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment to you each week is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. And no better example, we got Josh O'Leary out in Olympia, Washington area, Pacific Northwest, listening and dialing in. He dials in every single week to get an update. So I'm going to give Josh O'Leary a big shout out. If you're listening by a link or you're listening however it means, please let me know. Love giving our listeners a shout out. Uh, so anyway, during the Hot Topics segment, segment today, we've got Christopher Brown, the software solutions architect at Pfizer. He's going to be sharing some of his thoughts on the financial institutions and where they're at and where the markets are heading in the bigger picture, as well as what is the role of financial institutions. Anytime you see financial institutions coming into this, we've always said this for years and years. I've been at this industry for 48 years. We've said for years, by the time you start seeing the financial institutions start coming in, it defines the end of a cycle. The IMBs are the first end of the cycle. And then there is the, um, then there are the financial institutions. They come in a little bit towards the end of the cycle, and it is exactly what we're going to probably hear about. We had Fiserv. We have Fiserv on this week. We had Finastro last week, our sponsor of the podcast, one of our sponsors of the podcast. So we're getting some perspective on from financial institutions. For you IMBs, listen and pay attention to this. They do have clear strategies. They spend a lot of money looking at what's going on, so you'll benefit as well listening to Christopher Brown talk about the, what's going on at Pfizer. One, a truly one of the leaders, like Finastro, one of the true leaders in the mortgage part market when it comes to automation, technology, fintech. So let's see here. Alan Pollock even dialed in today. I'm so glad because he used to be at uh, Pfizer as well. So we're going to have a great conversation in the Hot Topics segment. So stay tuned all the way through to the end. Also, I want to say a shout out to the Industry Syndicate. Check out all the podcasts on industrysyndicate.com. They do a great job. Also, I want to say thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app, which is MAW, Mortgage Action Alliance app. And uh, you can get that in your uh, Google Play Store or in the Apple. Um, Apple. I'm an Apple guy. I can't remember. But anyway, in the uh, in the Apple Store. Anyway, go pick up that, get signed up, and have your word heard on the Hill. Also, Alan's going to talk a little bit more about the tech show, what he talked and what he learned at the tech show. Really interesting feedback coming out of that. Also, Finastra is a sponsor. Thrilled to have them as a sponsor. They maximize convenience per with post-closing functions, including funding, collateral tracking, shipping, insuring, and guaranteeing, and, and the trades, um, well as the interim servicing and accounting. There's so much that they do. We had Troy Anderson on of Finastra on last week talking about this. And again, we're going to continue that conversation with Christopher Brown this week with Pfizer. Also, a special thank you goes out to Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. These two co-ops do a great job of helping lenders and vendors get together in a more in a smaller, more intimate, intimate, or intimate, sen- <laughs> intimate setting where we get together and talk about what's going on in the trends of the industry. Encourage you to be a member of both of them. Select at least one of them, but that should not negate your uh, membership with the MBA, which is numero uno always. Also, Total Expert, the leading fintech software company that delivers purpose-built C. CRM technology and creates a customer engagement for the modern financial institutions. I got to tell you, I, we got to go listen, go back and listen to the interview we had with Josh, excuse me, Joe, uh, Weldu, Weldu, 
on March 14th. They've got a great cohesive uh, platform that just brings together experience. And if you're looking to do some cons- um, recruiting, this software also has some recruiting, really nice features for uh, connecting with loan officers when, you're, when you identify them through uh, either Modix or Mobility MMI. Both of these companies, again, are sponsors. We do a great job. We appreciate both of them. I use both of them for helping our clients on recruiting. Check out both these companies. Then you dump the data and tell us a total expert. It's a complete solution. And if you're looking for training, check out Knowledge Group. Ken Perry and the group there do a great job. They just released a new platform on April 1st, and they're doing a great job with that platform. We're broadcasting on that platform as well. SnapDocs, they have a great eVault solution, and it'll make it so simple to get started with eNotes. If you're not in the eNote program, you can do so. You can do this and transact across multiple partners that is doing so. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, the APIs, everyone has APIs, but it's really difficult to use. You've got to talk to the folks at uh, SnapDocs. They'll make it real clear on that. Brianna Ings, we had her on March 28th. Check that out, as well as Excuse me, as well as success kit, Julian Lumpkin is doing probably one of the most amazing jobs of helping you tell your story. It's a very effective way to reach your audience through your own words, not just through your own words. Excuse me, not, I mean, you can do it through your own words, but it's much more effective to use the words of your clients. And that's why we do. We get a lot of client testimonials as a result of that. We get a lot uh, of traction with this. Check out successkit.io. You can use that as a loan officer, as a mortgage company, tech company. It's Across the board, really good. Also, Lender Toolkit, Brett, uh, Brett Brumley, we had him as a guest on March 14th. And uh, my good friends there, Brent Emler and Brett Brumley, great guys with a great technology. As well as Form Free, they do a great job. Brent Chandler was uh, on with us recently on February it seems recently, gosh, how time is flying as well. Simple Nexus, we have Lori Brewer on on March 21st. And we also encourage you to check out the interview we had with Debbie Wemus and that we did on the podcast. We will help you on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, that's a lot of sponsors, and we're so grateful for all of them. There's even more sponsors on our web page. Go to lickingonlending.com. Check out all of our sponsors. And especially a thank you goes out to Alice Allen, Matt, Jack, Rob, and Les for their contributions each week. Rob was unable to get his MBA mortgage minute into us, so we're going to go right on into Les Parker's uh, TM Spotlight and this week's macro view of the markets. Les Parker, what you got for us? Bull still standing. Two, nine, five. Bear still trying. Two, nine, five. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. The bond market produced a hawkish Fed. The rapid rise in rates happened because bond investors felt the Fed was behind the curve. Now they think the Fed will usher in a recession. With the tenure not able to close above 295, will the bulls show they can push rates down 50 basis points by mid-May after the Fed increases rates 50 basis points on May 4th? Growing expectations of a recession in 2023 keeps short-term rates rising and long-term rates can fall. Who's still standing? Bulls or bears? These views are my own. Find who's standing at tmspotlight.com. Good job. I love that one. Gary Cantrabone and Les Parker team up to turn out a great segment on that. That's actually pretty timely. Check out tmspotlight.com. You can sign up for their subs- uh, paid subscription, and you can do it for free if you were if you insert the word power in the sign-up subscription area. You get it for free. Great amount of information on that. I get it. I've been reading it for decades, three at least three decades I've been reading Les's uh, write-ups. We're thrilled to partner with him on this podcast. Matt Graham is here, founder and CEO of MBS Live, with his very good market update. So sorry, I forgot to close out my soft phone on my desk. Heard that coming in. Anyway, Matt Graham, good to have you here. Looking at the 10-year, nice nice uh, little improvement here, a little bit of a rally. Is this going to hold, or like what Les said, we're going to see the, them take this down? What's your thoughts? Uh, bond sellers are always just thinking of new ways to try to trick uh, unsuspecting loan officers into floating yes. their loans, really. 
<laughs> so, yeah, no, we, we, we never know. Part of the thesis today is that uh, with each additional wave of selling, we have that much more technical pressure building up on the other side of uh, that oversold condition. And, you know, we're periodically going to get these pops back in a stronger territory. Every time we set a new high in yields and see one of these pops back toward lower levels, that could be the time where we're finally reversing course process that takes days, if not weeks to confirm. And uh, we've seen a couple head fakes so far. One of them was uh, fairly compelling and almost big enough and long lasting enough to uh, suggest that that was a ceiling, but then it was promptly crushed in the following week. So uh, once bitten, twice shy, how's that go? I don't know. It's like 17 times shy now. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. So, <laughs> Um, let's talk recap real quick data last week, pretty boring, uh, home builder confidence as expected. It's been declining a little bit expectations over the next six months lower as you'd expect, given the rate environment and the supply or inventory environment, uh, housing starts holding strong as expected building permits, same story, uh, mortgage applications, refi demand continues to be bouncing along the, uh, long-term lows there. Purchases are still resilient, down a little bit, complicated somewhat by the fact that it was a holiday-shortened week and that the Good Friday holiday varies significantly uh, in terms of the date of the month that it arrives. <clears throat> Existing home sales, pretty close to forecast, really nothing too interesting there. The more interesting stuff happened away from economic data, uh, and there were several Fed speakers, as less alluded to. Chicago Fed Evans, characteristically a mega dove, very bond friendly in his comments over the years, had uh, what I would call just sort of down the middle commentary on the rate outlook. But coming from Evans, the market as hawkish or unfriendly for rates. And he basically said, you know, in a nutshell, we could have two 50 basis point hikes and then 25 bit hikes from there on out. That's right in line with what Fed funds futures are suggesting so really no surprise and not uh, an overly hawkish message, but markets didn't love it and combine that with a, an active day of corporate bond issuance, which also puts upward pressure on rates in the short term. Uh, and that was enough for a big sell-off to new long-term highs on Tuesday. But the bond market did a fairly good job of moderating after that. Wednesday, nice little correction, back to the lows of the week, but not back into the previous week's territory. Dave, this is how they get you, by the way. They mm -hmm. give you a big, a big sell-off followed by a big rally, and the rally seems good, but, uh, you know, it doesn't really get you back to the previous week's levels, and so you're tricked into thinking that things are good. Um, then on Thursday, that rule was proved true with a big sell-off yet again and driven by central bankers yet again. It was interesting because we were waiting or the market was waiting for Fed Chair Powell and ECB President Lagarde in the afternoon at an IMF function. But well before that, uh, Bank of England's man, that's M-A-N-N, -N, and uh, also Fed's Mary Daly were out with comments that I wouldn't say they rocked the bond market, but they definitely put significant upward pressure on rates. And the bigger of those two deals were Daly's comments. And she laid out, um, she basically said 25, 50, or 75 bips. Those are the three options for rate hikes. Nobody's really talking too seriously about the 75 bip hike potential, but I think at times it has been on the table. It is something that may be discussed next week. I don't think the Fed will pull the trigger on it. The market definitely doesn't think the Fed would pull the trigger mm -hmm. on it. Uh, and, you know, as unlikely as it is for it to be mentioned is going to uh, hit the market a bit. And she also said that it's an open question as to how far above we settle at uh, above 2.5% in terms of the Fed funds rate. So all of that sent yields much higher. Friday was flat. And uh, now looking at the week ahead, more home uh, economic data, home-related economic data, housing, home prices, pending home sales. And, of course, with us as always, MBA applications. We have the two five and seven year treasury auction cycle. We had a little bit of uh, action last week around the 20 year bond auction. So not unreasonable to think we could see some more volatility surrounding the auctions. 
And then the biggest deal of the week in terms of data would be Friday's PCE inflation. That's the counterpart to CPI and the Fed's preferred inflation index. And uh, it is more stale than CPI since we already have CPI data. Uh, It might be a little bit anticlimactic if it comes in similarly, but if it says, if it paints a significantly different picture, then that could be a meaningful takeaway for the market, especially if it paints a picture of even more moderation in inflation. The big unknown that remains there, well, there are two of them. Number one is the fact that the, the recent commodity price spike may still be working its way through the market and could yet be seen in the inflation indices. So we might not have seen all of that pass through yet. In fact, it's likely we haven't. And then the other unknown is the COVID situation in China with lockdowns and a drop in oil prices as a result. And that drop in oil prices is currently more than offsetting the expectations for supply chain disruptions that would push inflation higher. So inflation expectations, oil prices both dropping significantly this morning as a result, uh, equities indices in China way down. And that is what is behind our bond gains this morning. And I would say that a little bit of fuel is added to that fire due to the oversold nature of bonds heading into the day uh, adds a little bit of extra emphasis when you have that much short base stacked up and a little bit of a short squeeze for bond sellers. So yeah, bigger picture, yet another opportunity to bounce, uh, Mm -hmm. yet another time where we need to wait and make the market really prove itself before we are convinced that it is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait. Uh, There's so many people that are trigger happy right now, Matt. It's like crazy. Exactly. Oh, what do we do? What do we got a clock? I got a clock. Don't hold this little. I mean, I was just talking to one um, one company who said their loan officer, who is a very sophisticated guy, uh, and he has a client that even though he made him sign a statement says you're floating at your own risk. The, the borrower said, no interest rates. I mean, this applicant was waiting. Rates are going to go down. Rates are going to go down. I know they're going to go down. I know what I'm doing because I'm a really smart guy. I have a PhD in finance. <laughs> and so they mm-hmm. um, he hung on. He said no. And now he's coming back and suing the company because they did not make him lock. Thank God. <laughs> they used that form. They used that form that says you do know you are floating, at which means interest rates could change suddenly. And in the event that they change, you will be paying the higher rate. You understand that and sign so, sig- so signified this statement by signing below he did sign it and he's still coming back and suing him isn't that amazing this is crazy times jack i'd love to get your thoughts on this brilliant analysis by mr matt isn't volatility isn't uh, volatility grand guys uh you know (laughs) you know one of the things i wanted to talk about real quickly this morning we throw the term soft landing out a lot here on this podcast and, and just so we all understand what a soft landing would mean in these economic times, I mean, obviously inflation, you know, running seven and a half, eight percent, you know, the Fed's target is, is two to two and a half percent. So the challenge for the Fed is how do they reel inflation back down to the target range without causing excessive contraction in the economy that would put us in a recession? So just, you know, making sure everybody knows, you know, what the term soft landing and that challenge is for the Fed. So, you know, are we going to see a miracle on the Hudson, David, you know, where Sully brings it in? Or is this going to yeah. be more like the Denzel Washington movie called Flight, where the plane's upside down? I, you know, I don't yeah. know. But a question, the question that I get a lot is, is, you know, what's going to happen, you know, to housing valuations? Are we going to see something similar to what we saw in 2007 and 2008. And, you know, I just want to share a little bit of good news with our listeners. You know, three reasons why we won't get there again. You know, number one, we have better credit quality today. You know, I mean, look, you know, as much as people complain about regulation, Dodd-Frank and ability to repay, you know, has us in a much better place today than we were back in 2006 coming into that recession. Uh, the second reason is, is residential uh, properties are just not as levered as they were back in 07 and 08. I mean, you know, we had 100% LTVs on so many loans back then, and, and even some greater than 100%, right? We had 125% uh, 
uh, LTV, you know, caps on negatively amortizing arms back then. So resi's not nearly as as leveraged. And housing inventory, the third reason, housing inventory still remains, you know, in a in a balance. Actually, you know, a shortage of housing inventory. So for those three reasons, I don't really look to see a valuation collapse like we saw back in 07 and 08. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to share some good news good. out there yeah. in a very volatile market, David. Yeah, two two good news. Yeah, we listen to what uh, Matt's sharing here with us. Your thoughts, Matt? You share that sentiment? You know what? I cannot tell a lie. I was just writing an alert for MBS Live, so I didn't really catch that. <laughs> but if you want to recap it in a nutshell, I will. I'll give it a go. No, no, we'll 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 let the listeners do that. But I always like you get your perspective because I know you are busy sitting there watching the markets and you're cranking out these re, these recaps on what's happening. Um, and I think that's such a value part of the MBS Live platform, Matt, is how you're attuned attuned to the markets, looking at everything, and you're pushing those out constantly. I get them. And I tell you, it allows me to twist around, look around at the screen right behind me, which is loaded up with MBS Live data flashing away in real time. It's amazing. You folks can sign up for this. You get an extended trial period and no, with no credit card required if you use the code LOL. Look at the letting if you sign up. Matt, anything else you want to share with us? Words of wisdom as we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, the main the main takeaway, whether it's wise or not, is just, uh, you know, wait and let the market prove itself before you get your hopes up too much about a top. But it is true that the higher we go, the closer we are to the top. Yeah, TTFN. You have that. You have a little of that ERishness in you there, and I just love that. So don't get too excited, folks. This may change too. Matt, you're brilliant. I love you. You're an awesome contributor here. Thank you so much. And Jack, thank you for that uh, words, rays of hope there, because I agree with you. I think this is a, there's, uh, I think overall, this is a, there's reasons to think bullishly about this market. And even though we've got watching what Matt's reporting on is being a little discouraging here lately with the rise of spike in rates, but good job. Thank you both for your commentary on the markets. Many are appreciating it. Let's get over to Alice Alvey, the CM, who is the CMB vice president of education and training at the marvelous union home mortgage. And she's got a legislative update, but you say it's kind of light news. Alice, is that correct? Yeah. As I, I was looking at the legislation that's pending and some of the things that are open for comment, there really wasn't anything brand new to report on. And, you know, I can, I'd love to comment and add to what Jack said and just uh, completely agree with what he said. This is nowhere near the same series of events uh, in, in real estate. And I think we, the credit quality is really the big one. We were doing no income verification loans and no Mm -hmm. asset verification loans. It was crazy stuff. People couldn't pay us back. Today, Hearing that, it just we it doesn't seeing, seem believable yeah. that we did that. But just it's inconceivable, but we did. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh yeah, I mean, we all have stories of riding with a cab driver who's going, "Yeah, I own four houses," and just looking, going, "Really? Okay." Yeah. And this is the only job you have? Yeah, this is the only job I have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, today we are seeing all of the uh, numbers from the COVID forbearance. That yep. was an impressive, positive news as well on how many uh, – I don't have the percentage off the top of my head, but it was a significant percentage. More, most borrowers were able to get themselves restarted back again after uh, the forbearance when they came out of forbearance, whereas as an industry, I think we were all holding our breath. Was that going to be a really ugly number of customers who couldn't uh, get themselves back on track with making their payments? Granted, the industry did a lot of – modifications, but at the same time, that part all worked out well. We don't have that hanging over our heads anymore. It's the outcome of that is coming out uh, better than planned. So I just wanted to add to that. I thought Jack's comments were terrific. And and the whole comment about, you know, I signed that it's a floating interest rate, that's mm-hmm. UDAP, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. bar, we are responsible for everything we say and don't say to customers. That's People, right. You know, borrowers don't have the responsibility to read and understand all the disclosures. It 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 becomes up to us. So uh, it's an interesting world we live in on that front. 
I'm just going to throw in uh, VUCA uh, since you've got, we're talking about volatility everywhere. Uh, so vol- this has been for a, a, around a while. It's an acronym that we use in leadership, develop leadership and management training. So volatility for your V, U is your uncertainty, C, complexity, and A, ambiguity. And that's the world that we're all trying to manage in today, a volatile, uncertain, complex, and uh, environment full of ambiguity. So how you manage to that is the, the the counter to that. The word that helps offset that is if you say, in for volatility, I have to combat that with clear vision. Mm-hmm. And for uncertainty, I have to make sure I'm creating understanding. For that complexity, I have to make sure I'm adding clarity. And for that ambiguity, really start to embrace being flexible, help your teams become uh, flexible to be able to do job rotations, cross-training, and that type of thing. Uh, It's a chance to re-engineer your business process and help people's ideas come to the table to be more effective and efficient. So in all of this change going on in the market today, that's how you turn it to have it be positive for the people that you have working with you today. So I'll just leave that oh, message today, David. Good. Yeah, looking I, forward I, I, to meeting Christopher. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Looking forward to that as well. Uh, one thing, uh, Jason Steger, who is the COO at Movement, just texted me, says, Dave, you recommended the book to me, uh, The Motive by Patrick Lencioni. He says, I read it over the weekend. Wow, what a powerful book. It is such a good book. And these are things, times where we need to look at how we're managing, how we're leading, and as the book suggests, what is our motive for doing so? It's a really good time to be looking at what we're doing, why we're doing it, and uh, encourage you to read the book, The Motive. Thank you, Jason, for texting me that you enjoyed that book. Appreciate it. Got so many good listeners out there. We're so pleased to have all of you here. Let's get over to our good friend, Alan Pollock, with the tech update. Alan? Alan, Alan. Hey, David. How is it going today? Good, good, good. Yeah, you're got, you're excited to have uh, Chris on. You used to work at Pfizer. I think that's awesome. So I, I'm glad to have I you. I did. I can't wait to talk to Mr. Christopher. Uh, we had a lot of fun back in the day, especially uh, as as we spent time working together. So uh, that'll right. be a great piece of the segment coming up in a moment. So good. Let's get into a got? couple cool things, right? Yeah. All right. So, you know, getting back to some of the funny, funny tech news that we always go to, David, we had a couple weeks off, I think, from that. The first one is a cop, get this, has stopped a driverless car. The driverless car then flees and then there's a whole bunch of confusion. (laughs) And so if you want, if you want to learn more about what really happened, you can Google it and check it out. But that is the the factual statement is that a a driverless car was stopped and, and pulled over by a cop with a lot of confusion as to what to do next. I guess what was the car flees, you just kind of let it go, mark down the license plate. <laughs> you can stare in the camera and go, okay, who's, who's, who's really driving this crazy thing? That's hilarious. Yeah. Sounds like something <laughs> out of a movie. So yeah. let's also talk about big tech, right? Uh, probably moving the, the focus away from, from Facebook, but definitely on Twitter. So there was a big meeting over the weekend with Twitter's board and it looks like they are nearing a deal. Decision will likely come today. Their earnings report is due out on Thursday, and what Musk has said is that he's offering $46.5 billion. He said they're really only worth 37 and he also made a giant comment. He said that is his best and final. Uh, there's all kinds of news about it all over the Internet. Oh, yeah. If you haven't That's heard good. about it, then you're way too focused on our industry. But uh, check it out. So we'll hear probably today or tomorrow yeah. what's going to happen with that deal. Today. Yeah, I was reading that. Yeah, some quick industry news. Uh, SnapDocs and Maxwell are now partnered together. Uh, Regora is now connected to ICE Mortgage Technology and Gateless. This is one of those folks that, that I saw at the conference. They're, they're basically a smart underwrite platform. They're using new tech. So all of this AI and, and OCR technology that's out there, and it seems like everybody's getting their hands on it now, they're partnered with Google Tech called Smart AI, and it's basically – a version of mortgage document data extraction that Google's partnered on. Uh, and they're also connected to Fannie and Freddie. Their, their goal is to reduce the, the timing, the limitations in the entire loan process. So Gateless is a new name that's out there. Check it out. Um, here's something kind of funny, David. I, I met with a broker, um, and, I, and I asked him, what technology are you using? Right? And there's one point of sale and one or two LOS platforms are using, but you know what his actual comment was? 
I don't like technology. It doesn't help me. It just wow. does what I have to, what the industry tells me I have to do. It does that. But I rely on educating the borrower. I rely on mm. the data that I get about the property, and I rely on relationship. And, and if you remember about two years ago, I had spoken with somebody who was an originator, and he said it takes about 13 touches to bring in that deal, right, to bring the fish in the boat. Mm-hmm. So I asked him that question, and, and he told me that he is using CRM. That's his number one tool. But too many of the CRM systems, this was his opinion, do too much. He goes, it's real simple. You've got to be able to have constant connect, connection and communication with the borrower, and you've got to use a phone call. You can't leave it all to technology. So while we're here touting technology, technology, right, um, that's, that's how a broker's opinion is. And, and he is not probably real popular on LinkedIn. You're not going to see his posts every day, but he definitely knew what he was talking about. And he has a successful brokerage that he owns. So um, many of you may be thinking the same thing. But let's move on to other, other news. So, David, we talked about at the conference, right, advances in data management and some of the cool things going on. I, I saw one thing that was really very interesting. I noticed more and more consulting companies that had more connectivity to the industry and more and more lenders that are relying on them to help integrate all of their tech solutions. One company I met with myself was a company called ATI, Awesome Technologies, and I think you may know them as well. What I found very interesting is that they are working on behalf of many lenders to integrate to their back-end tech systems or within their tech partners each of those solutions together. And so that gets into exactly one of the things we've been talking about, right, is how how to be successful with all these tech solutions, right? We've spent all this money. There's now layoffs. There's contraction in the market. There's... No one knows what's going to really happen with, with rates and property values. Um, I agree, by the way, with, with what everyone has been saying on the podcast so far, but I do think that they're going to slow down. I don't think we're going to see a contraction in that. But anyways, ATI is one of those companies. Um, I, w- I would look at your consulting company, who you're working with, and think about what we talked about, the Moscow method, how yep. to become successful with the projects you're working on. But with that, David, right, what did we promise last week? We're going to get into – what tech to watch in 2022. And um, there was an article that was out there that we referenced a couple times now. Uh, The article was actually in Mortgage Finance Gazette. So if you want to check it out, you can go there. Here's the best thing. They talked about a couple items. We'll get to one of them today, and we'll extend it into next week and maybe the week after because some of them are really good points. The first one is increased use of automated data sources. We're at a point right now where you can get access to data. You can easily take that data and you can use it whether you're creating a risk score, whether you're using it to make a decision. As an example, if you have data from a credit report doesn't meet within the criteria of what you're looking for, then why run plat or why run work number? Why do things that are going to cost money that don't make any sense? Or how do you use that data to make the experience more personalized, especially if you think about our conversation today with Christopher, we're going to be talking about Fiserv, open banking, and personalized experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Data is going to be the big topic today. How, how do you use those automated sources? And you as the lender, you may not have the ability to take that data and just do anything with it. You've got all of your vendors and partners to work with. But you want to be asking those questions, right? Ask those folks that you've integrated with. Maybe it's three years old. What additional data do they now have available that maybe they didn't have a while ago? Because like, as I said, automation, increased use of that data is becoming available. Make that usable. What can you do with it? Um, well, next week, David, we'll talk about digital IDs, and we'll also talk about mm. conversational experiences. So uh, looking forward to the hot topic. And if anybody wants yeah. to get a hold of me, you know how to do it. It's Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-advisors.com. Yeah, good job. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm still chuckling about the driverless car being pulled over. I just kind of – that was hilarious. But I think there's – I mean, we're, you're talking about the Moscow method. Alice is talking about VUCA. Luca, and uh, and I just think there's all these acronyms, but man, this is a time to be thinking about how we're approaching technology management, all the above. It's really good, really good, excellent, very good, Alan. Appreciate you so much for being here, a part of the podcast each and every week. Can't wait to have you involved in the hot topic segment, especially with your insights with my serve. Having been there for a good amount of time, 
Folks, that wraps up this week's weekly update of what we're talking about, the first half of the podcast. Those of you listening live, as Josh O'Leary is out in Olympia, Washington. Thanks, Josh, for being a regular listener. Josh knows he just stays right here, and he's going to continue on into the Hot Topic segment. For those of you listening on a downloaded basis, guess what? We are going to move on. You're going to move on to the next um, uh, podcast because we break this down into two segments uh when we up uh, take it down up edit it and upload it again you'll be listening to it on, on the second podcast or on the next podcast so stay tuned and move on to the next podcast for those who are listening on a downloaded basis welcome to the licking on lending hot topic segment again it is april 25th we're excited to have christopher christopher brown joining us with uh who is a software solutions architect i always like talking to architects software architects and they're bringing what solutions are bringing in. He's with Pfizer, but he'll be talking and uh, sharing some of his thoughts on the financial institutions, what you are, where they are at, what they're looking at in the markets and where the markets are heading and the bigger role of the financial institutions are going to be playing, especially when it comes to HELOCs, at least from the perspective of Pfizer. Always love getting insights into market leaders. Christopher, it is so good to have you here. I so enjoyed meeting you when you came by the reception, um, our reception hall in uh, in San Diego at the annual conference. I met you and I go, you're going to be one of those really great guests because the energy you bring, the wisdom you bring. And so welcome to the podcast. David, I'm so excited to be here. I know it's hard to believe that it's been six months since you and I hung oh. out together at NBA uh, annual, but I'm glad we finally are able to get together and I feel like there's been so much that's changed in the market since our time sitting together. I'm really excited we get to talk today. Yeah, we got to give uh, Amy uh, Hansen a big shout out with Soroka and Associates because uh, I've been Pat friends with Pat Soroka for so many, many, many years. And uh, you're here as a result of Amy's tenacity. I was saying, Dave, you got to listen to this guy. Got to listen to him. Got to meet him. I think he'd make a great guest, and you, I'm really excited about the interview here that we have going on today. So let's get started. There's so many things, but first of all, for those that do not know you, Christopher, um, this is, I think, your first time being on the podcast, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sounds good. I think I come in um, with a lot of knowledge. You know, I've been in the industry now, it's hard to believe, 20 years that I've now have been um, mm. in the mortgage space. I started in 2002 you know, as a loan officer and, and did that for many years. Uh, before finally joining a mortgage banker here in Reno, Nevada. And there I really got exposed to opportunity to move just out of being a loan officer, but being in to help, you know, find products. And we talked about uh, first-time home buyers, people that are in unique situations. And Nevada mm-hmm. is kind of a unique territory for the fact we got a lot of manufactured housing here. So I become kind of an expert in those. And then had an opportunity to move into kind of helping with secondary and operations which really gave me a, a broad experience of understanding what was going. And, and then again, uh, we had some foresight in 2007 that the market was changing. That organization was exiting the retail space, and I ended up joining the mortgage technology space in 2007. So for the last 15 years, I've been part of a product called PC Lenders, what it was formerly known as, um, and now is referred to as Mortgage Director. It's a Pfizer product. And I've done everything from you know product support, implementation, training, uh, level two, level three tech support. I uh, went back to school to get my um, degree in development and going down that avenue of taking over development as a, uh, a part of our organization and then moving into being the architect um, for, mortgage, for mortgage director. So really have had kind of a, a broad background, which allows me to sit down, you know, talk that plumber to plumber conversation, talk about where the market's going, where technology's going, and how do we bridge that gap um, to work on things that really mean meaningful things at the end of the day of how do we get a loan closed, how do we do you know retain that borrower, um, how do we move the uh, the platform forward um, as an organization, and of course um, enjoy all the uh, things to learn along the way. Well, the, you 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 do a great job articulating really really well, and excited to get in and gaining some new insights. Uh, from this interview. And so let's start with in terms of the broader lending ecosystem and the need for lenders to make meaningful connections with partners in the mortgage lending process. What are you seeing as a key trends that lenders are paying attention to right now? What are some of the key trends? You know, I mean, obviously we all want to talk about interest rates, but really I think for us today, um, our conversation is more on the technology side. It's a lot about the the vendors that are in this space. You know, 2007, 2008, um, there is not nearly as many vendors in the space. And by vendors, it's 
everything that you ever could imagine about tracking that borrower. We talked about the CRM, we talked about credit, uh, flood, AUS, um, servicing, you know, all of those have a part of it. And, and now there are so many vendors in that space, um, it really does drive what our core goal is, which is, you know, bringing in a really meaningful workflow. You know, that's, mm -hmm. this is the opportunity to look at the changes that have happened. You know, how do we start to bring in that workflow? How do we start to work on um, discrepancy-based? So if we see a discrepancy in the AUS, we see a discrepancy, you know, in the AVM or in the flood or in credit, creating those workflows based off of that and then starting to streamline the rest. I know Alan talked about a broker that that person's 100% you know, feeling like, oh, I got to work with technology because that's where, you know, the industry is pushing me. It's more about letting him do what's the secret sauce in that exception base, but giving him the tools and the resources to have a you know, meaningful workflow along that process. And of course, in that process always is my favorite topic, which is compliance, you know, always having that compliance um, there. And you, you are do that. You need new tech to do it. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a bad time about that. That's Alice's area so much so, but Jack, let's get over to you. Christopher, you know, we're seeing and, and hearing more about open banking. What does this really mean for our listeners? Well, when you're thinking about open banking, you know, uh, by, by default, you know, if you're a, uh, you know, a bank or a credit union, you're thinking about that in that account open and credit card um, maybe in the auto financing space, where really it was an opportunity then for to start creating this seamless API integration and be able to do, you know, kind of a check and balances between that, you know, those groups, be able to create that seamless. And as we now start to move into more of the broader mortgage space being adopted into that open banking, it really is connecting those APIs, creating the, the aspect of a, you know, you look at flood at AVM, and you start to build out kind of that hub and spoke model um, so that you're able to kind of, you know, keep the data that's really necessary for each one of those in one central spot, be able to integrate these different integrations. And again, back to that workflow model, uh, makes it kind of that open, um, you know, broader you know, open architecture, but at the same time keeping, you know, that privacy as being the one key um, where you're only providing that data that's really necessary. And that's really right. the open um, banking model. Now let's toss it to Alan. First, Christopher, I have not seen you in a while, so it's good to hear your voice. You sound exactly the same. I would agree, Alan. It's been a long time since last time I saw you. We were on a cold day in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, together <laughs> there at uh, Pfizer. That's a memorable so thing under the cold and, weather. Yeah. You know, I, I got to uh, – I, I got to say, David, you know, Chris is one of those guys that um, just knows how it works, right? There's yeah. there's a lot of folks that, that are in engineering and development, and they just can do the work, but then you got to understand the industry and, and mm -hmm. kind of like a 360-degree. Christopher's one of those guys. He uh, he was a pleasure to work with, and I'm not surprised, Chris, that you're still, you're still doing that. But, um, you know, my question is really, you know, on open banking, which – has become so so much more of a topic nowadays, and so many a lot of companies are innovating in that area. But there's a difference, right, between what Fiserv does and Mortgage Director compared to outside the rest of the industry. And so I'm really curious. You know, open banking seems to be so much tied to the public cloud. Are they the same, and, and how are they related? What, what really is the difference there? Well, you know, the, the public cloud definitely can be a scary word um, if you're looking at it from just the, the words of, of public and cloud. But really, it's what we're looking at in terms of the Fiserv and looking at the, the broader ecosystem is, you know, the government currently relies on, you know, certain public cloud providers to provide space for them. And really, they've gone to that area because they have expertise in security, both the physical structure itself, but also the infrastructure, the encryption um, being able to bring the best needs to the table in cybersecurity and really does help them get away from having that. They can start to rely on the technology of those public clouds to bring in those. Again, they are very heavily regulated at the same point. It allows them to 
broaden up and focus on their mm-hmm. business. And for us, I feel like in the banking space and the credit union and mortgage banker space, they want to now be able to feel comfortable that, hey, that infrastructure has been taken care of. We can now move on to our processes of the vendors and integrations that we need to have to make our organization hum, be competitive in today's market, get that secret sauce, at the same point driving down the cost. And again, obviously the expense that comes along with having that expertise um, is offset by also knowing that these people, this is their specialty, my specialty is mortgage banking. Great point. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Jack? Christopher, uh, when we think about open banking and, and, and the public cloud, can, can you talk to how, you know, this is going to present advantages to, you know, the mortgage banking process, ergo our listeners, Christopher? Man, this topic I could probably talk about for, <laughs> for many podcasts um, about the different things that we can get for the advantage. You know, really, if you think about what folks are driving every day to, it's, you know, how do I automate that workflow? You know, how do I improve my service levels? Um, How do I, you know, do automation for like verifications? How do I really know that borrower is truly who they are and find all the different characteristics? You know, can I get into removing the human error? You know, there was a conversation um, a few weeks back with Brian Montgomery. Um, He talks a lot about, you know, one aspect of his conversation is regarding removing potentially clerical errors that was in the market, and that's something that we had seen in, you know, 2008. You know, how do we remove, um, you know, different aspects of those different items that are going to bring, you know, a, a scratch and dent to the loan itself, but also how do we remain competitive? You know, you have to stay competitive in today's market. You need to have the different offerings um, that are in there, and it really comes down to the benefit to the borrower. By helping streamline that process, a lot of folks, you know, I think the pandemic did have one positive effect. If you told me in 2019 that you were going to get somebody to use their phone to pull up a menu at Applebee's and make a decision, um, I would have been like, eh, you're going to have a, a real large gap of who's going to do that, and we now have completely solved that by mm-hmm. um, retraining those people and what their mindset of what is acceptable and not acceptable. And I think really the advantages for open banking, the public cloud, and getting people to kind of embrace this technology is the mind is starting to move, um, and this is a good time to start adopting those new processes. That's such a good point. I mean, that's a great point. When you talk about what we anticipated, the adoption, rate of adoption, and where we're at, the leaps we have made, significant. Let's get over to you, Alice. Oh, yeah. My 86-year-old mother is using QR codes and paying her bill from her smartphone. You know, I mean, it's uh, (laughs) – the world has dramatically changed in a short period of time. So, you know, that's a a big impact. And as we all know, going digital is a journey. So, you know, what kind of impact is this having on on lenders' journey uh, to going digital? And how are lenders – how are they doing in this area in general? You know, that's so true. You know, convincing someone that's 86 to pay their bills online um, is really difficult. And, you know, you look back at now all the tools that are in this space and that have joined this space and let's just say the last eight years um, being around, we still feel like, you know, it's partially cobbled together because everybody's kind of coming at the secret sauce. I think we, we talked about before the, you know, certain people do things really well. They offer a lot of things, but really finding the secret sauce of each one of those being the case. Um, but at the end of the day, the person who we've we got to remember, are they seeing the seamless in their mind? And that is the consumer. Are they seeing that, that straight across by the different tools that we have out there and all the ones that people are licensing um, to utilize? And part of that, you know, there was, you know, Rick over at uh, Freddie Mac, I remember sitting at one of their conferences and he's discussing about, you know, being the ability to run multiple AUSs against Fannie versus Freddie. And that concept was just so foreign because, you know, five, six years ago, you didn't do that. It was one or the other. You were a Fannie or Freddie shop. You ran it. You looked at it. Um, but now that the thought of running both, looking and saying, well, I got an appraisal waiver here. I don't have that with this one, but I've got a income and asset, but they're a, 
you know, they meet these certain criteria. Again, starts to help educate that consumer about what is the best deal. And, you know, same thing goes with mortgage insurance. You know, what is the best deal out there um, to keep that client happy and to find the right product for them? So, again, as we put together that, that best digital experience, it really does go into we've seen the pandemic has changed a lot of the consumer's mind about what's acceptable of use of technology. Our industry has the opportunity to continue to keep driving that message of technology is here to make sure that you as a consumer are making the best choice and here's all the work that we've done um, to educate you and to bring you up to uh, knowledge about this very difficult topic of you're going to finance a home. Yeah, that, you know, that when and how, and, and then you're dealing with the whole what can I afford today versus what I could afford just a few months ago, or it seems like just even a few weeks ago, it's dramatically shifted. You know, we're seeing some big changes this year, interest rates being one of them, business product mix being another. What are you hearing about what will impact the listeners, our mortgage lenders listening to this podcast this year? You know, David, I think typically people have always focused on you know, one portion of their costs, and that is streamlining what they're doing in operations and reducing the cost at the same time. And if we look at the cost to originate a loan, a lot of that focus was on the LO, you know, and their compensation that's in there. And that's been changing the last few years as people are reducing costs, both from an operations and also from um, the LO perspective. But I think things are changing a bit. I think people are starting to look at um, other avenues, are they looking at other channels? As we've seen interest rates um, start to change a little bit. Instead of doing a refinance for someone, maybe we're moving into the home equity um, line of credit space. Are we looking at a closed in second? Um, are we educating that? So I think finding new lead procurements, new levels of loans, are they doing correspondent business? Are they doing wholesale business? Um, are they doing some type of lead generation um, as a joint venture? Um, I'm starting to feel like we're seeing a lot of our clients in this space starting to move to other avenues mm -hmm. of those. And really that's to help support um, the technology side, but also help the customer for life philosophy, which again, I think is where people are now going in the CRM space is I fought really, really hard to get that person in the door. I paid really, really good money to get that loan originated. What do I do now to utilize technology to use each one of the, the pieces of that hub and spoke model to continue to hold on to that client for life? How do I get engaged with them and know my client for life? And really, I think tech is here to help drive that message and drive that into people's business that are willing to look at the overall ecosystem of that lead and that cost. Yeah, the cost is, and the, the, any sense of what you're seeing as far as cost for the leads, are you, what are you hearing? Do you have a unique perspective on that from what we're hearing? You know, I think you. I think MBA is probably the one that's got the most, you know, finger on what the cost to originate is. And again, I think as we start looking at a mortgage banker versus a credit union versus a mm -hmm. um, yeah. a bank, you know, each one is going to have a different cost. And you look at someone that's in the credit union space again, a market that really does need, you know, the mortgage bankers' help to kind of help them with their balance sheet problem that they typically have, especially if they don't have a mortgage division. You know, that is an area that really they sometimes don't realize, oh, if this is one avenue that I can go into. And again, they're usually very conservative in their nature. And again, that really helps with a lot of the products that we see today. Very different than what we saw in 2008 of the pick-a-pay uh, programs right. or the yeah. no-income, no-asset products that we saw back in the day. Um, that really is good to now start taking technology to them and showing, hey, this is an opportunity um, to help you with that balance sheet. That's really interesting. I've got some questions coming in. We're going to ask in just a minute, but I want to get back to Alice. Yeah, so uh, it, it all sounds great, trying to reach the consumer. Uh, is there, can you tell us a little bit about how this might help lenders to meet the expectations of the regulators in this area where we've got so much focus on diversity and affordable housing? Uh, is, there, you know, is there anything in this technology that you're seeing that can help lenders in that space? I do, and you know, as you think about, you know, go back to 2008, given um, that pick-a-pay world, you fast-forward to 2010, Dodd-Frank comes into play. We see the change of the um, adoption of the LE, the CD, um, to our market space. We get rid of the till, the, the GFE, the HUD. There's no longer fees just randomly showing up 
um, at the end of the table, person trying to sign, and all of a sudden, oh, that's, you know, the fee's not different, and things are much different than it was when we discussed the beginning of the application. You know, all that stuff has gone away, and that's really, if you go back and look at, you know, the stuff that Brian Montgomery talked about at the beginning mm -hmm. of the month on, on April 11th um, in his podcast, a lot of it is about, you know, what is the regulator looking at? And I think before it was, you know, like we look at fair lending as being an example, that process before was always post, you know, close. What was the fair lending activity? And now I think the expectation is more on what is it today? What is it in there? Setting up some guardrails to make sure that the lender is aware as that transaction is, is going through the pipeline or is entering the pipeline that they understand exactly what their fair lending you know, risk is. Are they doing things within the tolerance that they're supposed to? And I think now the expectation is much different than it was 15 years ago of you need to be utilizing technology to stay um, in the positive um, um, aspect. And really a part of the best part about technology is, is that, you know, and is an inclusion. You know, technology doesn't know anything about that borrower. It can't judge that borrower by anything more than what you feed into it. So if you tell us about its credit history, you tell us about its income, its assets, and its longevity, we can help show that borrower to the AUS in the fair light that it possibly can. There really is no um, inclusion. We don't really care where the person looks. And really it brings, you know, that fair um, access to credit across the board if you're utilizing technology and you're removing that human aspect of you know, decision making and you're really doing it based on the credit qualifications that that borrower has, the property that they're in, and the circumstance that, that borrower really um, can portray in. So interesting. I've got a question coming in from one of our uh, listeners say, saying, you talked, I, I mentioned how banks are starting to show more interest in well, I guess it's actually a question. Would this to you, Christopher? Are is would you agree with the statement that banks have a tendency to be laggards and are now coming in in a bigger way, or have you seen bankers always involved? I got a suspicion this is coming from a banker. You might, I'm sorry if I offended you, Lister, forever suggesting that uh, uh, financial institutions are laggards. It's just it has been a, it has been a trend in the past, but maybe not now. Your thoughts? I think it's mixed. I think it depends really on what's the core focus of that business. You know, it's kind of, you know, when you look at and go into a mortgage banker shop, you know, there's usually two typical groups you're going to end up seeing. You're going to figure out which one is running that shop. Are they an LO-driven shop or are they an operations-driven shop? Yeah, and I think true. you can have the same thing in a, in a, in a bank, the same thing in a credit union. Yep. You need yep. to understand where is their lending practices been historically, what is their risk for tolerance, you know, in terms of, of, of risk? And at that point, I think it really answers that question about is someone willing to jump in um, really kind of depends on what their experience is. You start seeing housing prices go up. You start seeing the cost of materials. I think Brian Montgomery hit it strong about California, 50% oh, yeah. of their cost is, you know, driven based off of regulation of things they need to do to build a home. It's really hard, I think, depending on the space, also comes into where you geographically in the U.S., um, because that also is going to drive some of the factor as well. That's great. I got one last question, and I'll have one wrap-up question for you. But it, this one came in from an independent mortgage banker. It says, I'm, an in, I'm a nervous independent mortgage banker. I don't need any more competitions. How seriously do we need to take banks? They have a decided advantage because their cost of funds are so much lower than us IMBs. What? Do you think, does this create an opportunity for them to drive more of us IMBs out of business or take market share from us? Thoughts? And that's a, that's a great question. That is a great, <laughs> great question. I think when you start looking at the overall cost, you know, uh, there's people who will always shop based off of rate, right? I mean, that's right. the inevitable. When I go back 20 years of my history of being a loan officer, people were always, well, the guy down the street is – you know, a quarter better than me or half better than me. And mm -hmm. you start looking at, you know, what is that person? And we go back to looking at the CRM. I think today technology, one area that's much different is um, being able to cultivate that lead um, very early on. A lot of people come in saying, hey, I've, I'm tired of paying rent. I'm, I'm a first-time home buyer. I feel like I've been pushed out of the market because that's what the news media has told me that I've I can't afford it anymore. And you sit down with them and you start to create that relationship. They're not going to yep. look at the bank down the street. Yep. If you have created that experience with them to Great educate point. them, 
to help them find out what they're buying is going to be, and then put them in front of the right, you know, real estate agent to say, hey, you know, we work together. This is the price point. They're not going to wander off to the bank down the street because you've taken that experience with them that's much different than they're going to find down at the bank. You know, there is potentially could be an experience of where it's like, these are what today's rates are. We're not here really to work with you. These are the, the guidelines that we're trying to meet. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's where you have that competitive advantage as a mortgage banker. Yeah, great point. Alan, you are so spot on. He knows it. He knows the business intricately well. That's our, they, yes. got a great we, asset in you, Christopher. Alan, <laughs> go ahead. No, we, Christopher and I had a lot of great conversations and worked on some fun projects. So um, when, I, when I saw that he was going to be on, I was very excited. And uh, great insights, Christopher. Um, it's great to hear your voice again. Yeah, let's get over to Alice. Any last Likewise, questions? So. Any last, last questions you have, Alice? No, I was just thinking through, um, you know, really what does the what what is next on the roadmap? So we've talked a lot about for the lenders, but just from the technology standpoint, do you, is there anything you can reveal for us that's going to be added to your roadmap? Yeah, there are. You know, a lot of it really comes into. Our roadmap is always based off of client feedback. You know, some of it is trying to get clients to agree on, hey, we have a finite number of hours that we can allocate to work. You know, what is the area that's going to drive? And right now, um, a lot of the stuff is in things like, you know, construction to perm, you know, is one area that we are focusing a lot of um, energy and effort on streamlining that process. Again, it's an area that I think is underdeserved in a lot of markets where, you, know, you can purchase a piece of land and then finding that loan product that goes along with um, building that home, mm -hmm. educating and bringing in some other partners from the technology perspective um, to help with that. Um, so really it is trying to help clients, um, not just with their day-to-day -day needs, but also ensure and help that they get that ecosystem together um, to create the customer for life. Oh, the customer for life concept. Jack, I'd let you wrap this up. Thanks, David. Um, you know, as I was thinking about one of the listener questions, and they were talking about big banks having the advantage from a cost of funds standpoint, you know, I begin to think that, you know, years ago, big banks had the advantage from a technology standpoint because they could develop a lot of this technology in-house, and, and, and they had a distinct technology advantage. Christopher, my question to you is, is with the plethora of, of vendors and the, and the rapid growth in technology that's affordable to independent mortgage bankers now, do you, do you see the gap between big bank, in-house tech development, and what's available at a reasonable cost to independent mortgage bankers? Do you see that narrowing the gap? I do see that gap narrowing because at the end of the day, you know, there is one advantage, you know, of let's say a mortgage banker, credit union bank, you know, a bank is going to be something that, you know, it's highly regulated um, and potentially could also have a lot of guardrails that they've placed internal to stay in a very of the market segment. And that goes with their technology as well, right? So when they start to do a, um, analysis of what their technology is, they may go through a lot more um, in-depth decision for both the ability to identify what technology partners they want to bring to the table, but also making that final decision and implementing it and getting folks on, you know, on board to do that. If you look at an independent mortgage banker, that person can make more nimble decisions about their technology. They can go out and really kick the can with a lot of different technology partners to really come up with that secret sauce. And really, I think the market share has got a lot of first-time home buyers that are in it. It really is starting to educate that person, getting them in there, and having the right piece of technology. And I think independent mortgage bankers have a, a high advantage to be able to utilize their skill set of focusing. They, they know what our business is. They know where the direction we need to be heading um, as an entire you know, uh, industry as a whole. And really, I think for them being nimble and looking at the technology partners and helping identify the right one for them, their area, their expertise, um, really will help them stay very relevant in the market. Good job. 
Boy, good interview. Getting a lot of feedback in. This guy's sharp. One guy said, I like what he comments, how he comments, well thought out. Lots of great feedback here from our listeners. Thank you so much, Christopher, for being on here. Amy Hansen, thank you so much for making the introduction. Appreciate you all very much. Uh, regulars, Alan, Alice, Jack, thank you so much for all your contributions, Matt, of course. And we're so thrilled to have had you as a guest. So how is the best way for people to get a hold of you, Christopher? Uh, probably the best way is through Fiserv. Um, my email address is christopher.brown1 at fiserv.com. I mean, there is more than one Christopher, so you had to put a one there. You are number one. Now, I can get that. I can see why they put a number one there. You're number it one. Is, it is the joke around the office. You remember who you're talking to, number one. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> multiple Christopher Browns at Fiserv. That did not get by us. That did not escape us. Great job, Christopher. Thanks so much for being here, creating some, giving us and sharing your insights on where this market's going and especially from the unique perspective of the financial institutions. We really appreciate that. Got a lot of financial institutions that are listening to us. Again, I apologize if I implied you guys are laggards. You guys, come on, step up, come on in. Uh, a lot of opportunity in this market yet, and I think that's really interesting. I also want to give a shout-out to Josh O'Leary again, who dials in each and every week. So much fun to have him here and listening, as well as so many of you other listeners. Next week, we have Kristen Meserly coming on of Experience.com. Now, if you understand about Experience.com, they measure the success experience, the success experience you have with your customer. And it's a great product, great program. But they're going to be announcing, the reason we're having Kristen on, she's dear. I just, we, we, we belong to the 7A Mastermind Group together, along with a number of others. And uh, Kristen always has great content. But what Kristen will be talking about next week, she'll be announcing who won who is in the best promote like a promoter score, who has the, is doing the best job. And you hear the criteria that Christian will be laying out. It's going to challenge you. Come on back and be sure to listen to next week to rejoin us next week and listen to the hot topics where we have Kristen Meserly of experience.com. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Mobility MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDoc, Success Kit, Lender Toolkit, Total Expert, Form Free, TMC, and Simple Nexus. So good to have you all with us, everybody. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.